Right now on Matter of Fact, millions of Americans stripped of health insurance in the middle of a pandemic. Where can they turn for help? If there is one thing that this pandemic should have taught us, it's that the health of the community affects us. Meet the doctor removing the barriers to care with a free clinic in a park. Plus, a woman determined to keep her bakery open through protests. And the pandemic. It's hard on the world when you really look at what's happening and what we could do to stop it. Find out how she turned a random act of kindness into a seed of hope. Then, in the midst of it all, a most beautiful thing. Discover the film about Chicago's first all-black high school rowing team and the reunion 20 years later that really could save lives. And a new life in pictures. Share the incredible story of young parents welcoming a child in the middle of a pandemic. The miracle moment experienced together through a pane of glass. I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. We hope you're enjoying your Thanksgiving weekend. Today, we're sharing stories of hope about people who've confronted the chaos of our times and found an opportunity to be of service to others. One example, Dr. Juliet Widoff, a physician in New York City, a volunteer at a homeless shelter who's concerned about the inequities in our healthcare system, especially in the middle of a pandemic. More Americans have lost their health insurance during this public health crisis than during any other time in U.S. history. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation estimates that 10 million people will be left uninsured by year end, all due to COVID-related job loss. That's in addition to the 26 million Americans who are already uninsured. In total, that leaves nearly 8% of our population at risk without medical coverage. In the absence of a long-term solution, Dr. Widoff decided it was time to do something. So she mobilized her colleagues and raised the money to set up a free clinic, the Healthcare for the People Clinic in a New York City park. I'm Juliet Widoff. I'm a physician and I'm one of the founders of Healthcare for the People. We started this program because we have long known that the healthcare system in this country is broken. And if there was ever a time that highlighted that fact, it has been the last several months of the pandemic. And we could resign and be embittered and angry, or we could turn our frustration and, and rage into action and do something productive and positive, and that's what we decided to do. Our plan is as long as the weather holds, we will be out here every single Saturday from 12 to 4. We are in an area with a heavy immigrant population, so we do see folks who are not eligible for insurance for a variety of different reasons. We also have people who are fully documented and have health insurance, but can't get in to see their providers. Pre-diabetic or what? Yeah, danger of pre-diabetes. We see a ton of diabetes. We see a ton of hypertension. We have folks who come for just for flu shots. We have folks who just want to get their blood pressure checked, but are doing just fine. We have folks who come for HIV testing, for pregnancy tests, for Plan B. 
The resources for this come from us and from our supporters. We are all volunteers. All of us have day jobs. And we have gotten donations from lots of folks. And I have lots of mixed feelings about that because the last thing I actually want is to create another safety net. Hi there. I'm Juliet. The United States healthcare system is broken in so many different ways. We spend more money than any other industrialized nation per capita on healthcare. Our outcomes are not better for it and in some cases are worse for it. The healthcare system is rife with inequity. Outcomes for folks of color across the boards are significantly worse than they are for, for white people. And it is broken in that we have a thousand different fixes. We have Medicaid and we have Medicare and we have the health exchange and we have federally qualified health centers and we have free clinics and it's still not working. It's not enough. It's not caring for everyone. And if there is one thing that this pandemic should have taught us, it's that the health of the community affects us. We can't be healthy if the rest of the community is suffering, if it's not a vibrant, healthy community. <laughs> My hope is that we think about what it means to care for each other and how important that is. And we choose to take action in our daily lives to do that. Next on Matter of Fact, a bold plan to create black-owned farms. Land ownership in the broader sense of community gives you a voice. How a gift of $100 became a down payment on the future. Plus, they came from some of Chicago's toughest streets. Find out how this crew got together and found peace and purpose. After a summer of protests against police brutality, along with the pandemic and the election, the political divide has seemed to grow wider. And while it may take a huge force to heal our divisions, small gestures can sometimes lead to monumental change. That's what happened when a chef in La Crosse, Wisconsin, received a random act of kindness in the mail. Our correspondent, Jessica Gomez, reports it planted a seed of hope. Everybody has to That's the way that I look at it. Um, it's one way that we can all come together. This is where you'll find Adrienne Lipscomb in the kitchen of her uptown cafe and bakery. The restaurant in La Crosse, Wisconsin, surrounded by rolling hills and valleys known for its rich farmland. So we have the opportunity to really kind of understand where our food comes from, how it's grown. How are you? Adrian, a former city planner from Texas, is one of only a handful of black business owners in town. So, I mean, there is a given day where I don't see another black person. Yeah. <laughs> it was in the middle of the George Floyd protest just over the border in Minneapolis that something strange started happening. It began with a check in the mail, $100 from a stranger, with a card that simply said, keep dancing. I was like, is this reparation? Is this guilt? Is this support? You know, I, I, I don't know exactly what it is because there was nothing that was written on it. And then the next day is when um, I received a message about 
asking for my Venmo to send me money again. That's when she had an idea. And I said, I'm going to buy land and I'm going to buy black land. Adrian started a GoFundMe page. Her project called 40 Acres and a Mule, a reference to short-lived reparations that gave former slaves land after the Civil War, only to be taken back a short time later. Today, black farmers own less than 2% of America's farmland. It allows you to be a part of the city, the town that you're in, and it also gives you a right. It feels like you have, a, you have a voice. This is amazing work, glad to support. Adrian's voice, loud and clear. In just a couple of months, she's raised more than $120,000. Kathleen Peelhop, one of the first to donate. I have two small children and I wanna make sure that we're, the world that they're growing up in um, is going to be kind. I wanna make sure that they turn out to be good humans and I think in order to do that, you have to lead by example. Bike shop owner Robbie Young didn't think twice about donating. Diverse communities are better for all of us, different perspectives, uh, even just having different food options makes a place a, a better place to live, right? And fruit farmers, Harry and Jackie Hoke, who sell to Adrian's Cafe, offering to help train new farmers, sharing what they've learned over 30 years of farming. How do you find a space at the table if you if you don't even have a chair to sit in? And we would give like our vegetables or whatnot to our neighbors. That Adrian's mission catching on through social media. Companies and agriculture groups in Wisconsin and around the country offering to help. We get contacted by a lot of people who are interested in farming, so a lot of black people are interested in farming, but they don't know where to go and how to start. Then his brother owns the other property, so... We also get contacted by organizations that have an interest in helping black farmers, but they don't even know where to start. We tracked down the woman who sent that very first check. Turns out she's a customer of Adrian's, although the two have never met. The retired mother of a police officer wants to remain anonymous, but says during the pandemic and the protest, she felt compelled to help. I'm going to try not to cry because <laughs> it's um, it's hard. It's really hard when you really look at what's happening and what we could do to stop it. So I really do thank her for pushing me in the direction to literally get up and do something. You look so cute in your little dress. Something like the mother of four hopes will help plant the seeds of change. It shows that there's hope and that people believe in a future. And that to me makes me fight harder. It really shows that that we're good, that people are good. Here you go. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. Bye, ladies. Bye. In La Crosse County, Wisconsin, for Matter of Fact, I'm Jessica Gomez. When we come back, former NBA star Grant Hill introduces you to a most beautiful thing. That was a beautiful, important, uh, powerful moment in the film uh, that I think really will resonate now uh, in the world that we're in. And later, the extraordinary photos documenting a baby's birth in the time of COVID-19 a young husband coaching his wife while keeping vigil outside her window. Welcome back. 
In mid-July, we previewed a documentary about a group of teenagers from rival neighborhoods on Chicago's west side who formed an unlikely bond as part of the first all-black high school rowing team. The film, A Most Beautiful Thing, was set for a nationwide opening at AMC theaters. It headed online due to COVID-19. Well, now it's been nominated for the Critics' Choice Award for Best Documentary. Take a look at this clip from A Most Beautiful Thing. Some people ask what college you're going to go to when you grow up. In that neighborhood, the big question was what gang you're going to join. A kid got shot in front of Manly, killed him dead right on the curb. It kind of makes you lose hope for your community. But a chance encounter changed everything. I walk inside the lunch room and I see this boat. I didn't even know what room it was. We don't even swim. You gonna take some West Side kids over to the lake? Nah, that's not gonna work. It brought guys from different neighborhoods, from rival gangs together in one boat. When it's calm and you out there, it take your mind away from any problems that you have. It brightened my life. There was something about the water that gave us peace, and we all needed that. The film is based on a memoir by rower and now motivational speaker, Arshay Cooper. And I talked to Arshay and Mary Mazio, the director of the documentary, and retired basketball star Grant Hill, who's one of the executive producers, about the conversations the documentary has started. Arshay and Mary and Grant, thank you for talking with me. Um, Arshay, let's start with you because this documentary really is your story, kind of based on your book. And while the documentary is about rowing, it really, in a lot of ways, is about trauma too, isn't it, Arshay? Yeah, a lot, a lot of trauma. Just, you know, when you're surrounded with so much violence, or surviving, or really just trying to feed yourself and your family's trying to feed themselves, you go to school just with a sense of toughness and not really being yourself and just trying to figure out how to protect yourself every day. And, and, and um, the film touches a lot on that kind of trauma that started with our, our grandparents who lived in the South who deal with a lot of racism. And then my mom, who was living in a time with, the, with war on drugs and how they trauma was passed down to my generation. And so the water was there to help me get over that. Mary, you were an Olympic rower. Uh, the sport is very, 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 very white. Very, do you very, think very. <laughs> very, very. I probably left out some berries. Um, do you think that's going to change? And could it change? I think, honestly, we're seeing in front of us um, people that are seeking to use the film as a starting point about a dialogue around privilege. And when you think of privilege, our sport is rampant with privilege, right? And so that metaphor for getting in the same boat, you can't move forward um, without being together. And that's, that's true in the sport, and it's also so true in the troubled times that we're seeing ourselves now. Grant, do you think there is a role for sports in this complicated, messy conversation about race that we're kind of in the middle of right now? And what is that role? Well, yeah, I think there's a, a valuable role uh, in sports. Look, sports, I think, can be a healer, can be a unifier. I think it can be an example uh, of people from all walks of life uh, coming together uh, and showing that, that they can work together and have a common goal and a common theme. And there's, there's a moment in the film where Arshay invites the, the police department, Chicago Police Department, to, to train and to actually get in the boat with, with the team. And that was a beautiful... Uh, uh, important, uh, powerful moment in the film 
that I think really will resonate now uh, in the world that we're in. Uh, Arshay, why have the Chicago Police Department in on this um, 20 years later after you'd all gotten out of school and now you were coming back uh, to do this race? Why did you think that they needed to be part of this? To move forward, right? To truly move forward, what I learned from rowing is, is to get together and have a conversation. And they don't know our names, right? They work in this community from eight to five every day for years, and there's no relationship. But sports unite people, just like Grant said. So if I can invite them out just for a row, the conversation will start, and they will have to learn from us, meaning their ears will be open. And that was an opportunity to get to know who we are and how we contribute to our community and how much we care. And that was the goal. That was the plan, to start these conversations, not among each other, but the ones, right, that is a part of the police department. And so, um, and, and that was important, and that's why I invited them out. Arshay Cooper and Mary Mazio and Grant Hill, thanks, guys. I appreciate you talking about the project. You can watch the entire interview about the documentary on matteroffact.tv. Next on Matter of Fact, two women, longtime friends, become freshman legislators in the next Congress. Find out how their immigrant stories will land them in the history books. Welcome back, everybody. More history being made in the 2020 election. Three Korean-American women are the first to be elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. Two are members of the GOP and serve districts in California. One, a Democrat, was elected in Washington state. Republicans Young Kim and Michelle Steele were both born in South Korea and immigrated to the U.S. with their parents. Two longtime friends, the two women helped flip Orange County for the Republicans, reclaiming seats that were lost in 2018. Then there's Democrat Marilyn Strickland, who was born in Seoul to a native mother and African-American father stationed in Korea after the war. She served as the mayor of Tacoma, Washington, and is making history as one of the first Korean-American women elected to Congress and as the first African-American to represent the state of Washington at the federal level. All three will take office come January. Coming up, the birth of a baby in the middle of a pandemic. The extraordinary story behind these photos. Finally today, proof that despite separations imposed by COVID-19, there are still ways to share life's most incredible moments, like the moment of birth. The proof in a photo essay by Jerry Lara of the San Antonio Express News. Photos that tell the story of the day that Luna Rose Benavides was born. After a long night's labor, how her parents, Kayla and Alex, shared that profound moment, welcoming their daughter, separated and yet connected by a pane of glass. How this couple kept their bond and their promise simply by holding each other's gaze. We've posted these photos on our website, matteroffact.tv, along with a link to their story. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and we'll see you back here next week. Listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.